we'll open in prayer. Ah, Heavenly Father, we've, we've gathered together and our, our purpose is to be encouraged by one another, uh, to fellowship together. And ultimately, our highest purpose of gathering today is, is to encounter you, yeah. is to become more like you in our character, to, to understand your ways, to follow you, to be discipled by you. Father, we're here because our hearts are hungry for you. Yeah. Not just what you do, but for who you are. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the opportunity to have our minds renewed today, to have our hearts impacted by your grace and your love, and to have our, our walk uh, more steady, more stable on the rock of ages. And we, and we just commit this time to you. I ask, Lord, that you would take over, that you would use my mouth as your mouthpiece, Lord, to speak to each heart what you want them to hear and receive. In Jesus' name, yeah. amen. Amen. All right, have a seat. I want to talk to you today about trusting the Father's will. It's, as contrary as this may sound, I, I would probably subtitle it, How to Have Your Prayers Answered. So trusting the Father's will, how to have your prayers answered. Go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 6. We're going to kick off there with a really well-known passage. Uh, we're going to start sort of in the middle of Jesus' discourse um, on the Mount of Olives where uh, the famous Beatitudes uh, and that whole sermon was preached. And, and his basic teaching was given. Uh, but we're going to sort of jump right into the middle of that, and we're going to start um, in verse 8. So Jesus says, Therefore do not be like them, you've been talking about the heathen, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to pause there and I want to tell you something that God has shared with me. How can you have your prayers answered? Focus in on verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. <coughs> now, often when we're praying for something, we're praying for someone else. We are asking the Lord to come and impress upon someone in an area that they need and for him to do a work in their life. I remember uh, my mum and dad going through a bit of a rocky time in their marriage as a kid. And I remember mum's frustration that she would pray and pray that God would change her husband. And it felt like he was never changing him. But he seemed to keep saying, 
Let me change you. And she was so frustrated. I don't want you to change me. He's the problem. I want you to change him. Well, this is the interesting thing about prayer. When we pray for someone else, and Jesus went into this a little bit more, he said, now, if you see a speck in, in your brother or sister's eye, who's ever had a speck in their eye, by the way? Have you ever had something in your eye before? <coughs> it's really irritating, isn't it? It's super distracting. Like, you can't do anything. It's like, just, sorry, just give me a moment. Ah, ah, something in my eye. <laughs> so, you see something in someone's eye, and you know, my mum said, oh, Give me a look. You know, you open it up and they have a big look around and try and see if they can get something out. It's helpful to have someone remove a speck from your eye. That's actually a loving thing to do. But Jesus says, now before you get to that point, though, you need to make sure that there's not a log in your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So before I try and come in and have a look for that little speck that's bothering you, I need to make sure there's not a big distance between us. If there's a big log coming out of my eye, I can't get very close to you. To remove the speck from your eye. So he's like, first deal with you. And so when we pray, before we pray in earnest for somebody else to change, God's saying, why don't you pray in earnest? Your kingdom come, your will be done in me as it is in heaven. When we begin there, then God has a starting point to answer our prayers. Because when we begin to say, well, your will be done in me, it begins to put us in a different position. Now, there was a centurion who understood this, this principle really well. He had a need. He had a, a need for his servant to be made well. And he comes to Jesus. In fact, one gospel says he didn't even come. He just sent a messenger to go to Jesus. And here was the message. Jesus, my servant is unwell, but if you would just give your word, I know he would be healed. Because I also am a man under authority. He didn't say, I also am a man of authority, or I also am a man in authority. He said, I am a man under authority. And then he says it sounds contradictory. He's under authority. You think he'd say, so when I'm told to go, I go. And when I'm told to come, I come. But he said, I am under authority. And so whoever I say, you go, they go. And when I say, you come, they come. And, and so, Jesus, you just say your word, and I know it will be done. See, he received his miracle, and Jesus marveled at his great faith because he understood what it was to be under authority. 
As a Roman soldier, he had to be under the authority of Rome. That meant everything he did while he was in his uh, uniform, he did as a representation of Rome and the leadership of Rome. So when he said something to another soldier, hey, go and sort out that, that scuffle over there, he's doing it under the authority of Rome. So knowing that, well, in Rome, we don't handle scuffles on the street. We don't permit that. That needs to be sorted out. Therefore, I know I have authority to go and say that this needs to be done because I am under the kingdom rule of Rome. And so the first thing, if we want our prayers answered, the first thing that we need is to come under the authority of Christ and his kingdom rule in our life. Now, we play a game sometimes at youth, and uh, and you have like the game you get winked at and you fall over and pretend to die. And I know it sounds dramatic, but it, it's actually a lot of fun. And, and there's someone who has to figure out who the murderer is. And uh, but we had some some very um, dramatic attenders at youth, and so. Someone would wink at them and they'd go, oh, and make all this noise and flop around on the floor. And it was all very wow. That was a, a, a you know, dramatic death. But you know, I feel like we can be the same with our flesh. We, we have our will. And then God asks us, well, hey, actually, I want you to do it this way. And our flesh goes, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Uh, why do we have an aversion to the will of God? Why do you think? Why do we think? Why do you think we don't just automatically just go, I just absolutely always want to do everything you want to do? What have we got that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis? Sin. Our flesh, right? Our flesh likes to have its will and its way. Now, I want to give a few illustrations this morning. So the first one is a child with allergies, severe allergies. Uh, Let's pick on peanuts. I grew up in King Roy, the peanut country, so quite familiar with peanuts. But some people are extremely allergic to peanuts, right? Now... If they're given something with peanuts in, it can be fatal for them. But a small child may not understand the consequence of having something he's allergic to. And so he might see a chocolate that has peanuts in it and he wants it. You know what happens when kids really want something, don't you? They don't just say, what do they do? Mom, 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 can I please have that? No. Mom, mom, dad, dad, can I please have that? No. What did, what, what did your mother say? Uh, no, no, you can't have it. Please, 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 I want it, I want it. Well, that's kind of how our flesh is. It just wants to beg and plead because I really want it. Oh, it looks so good. I know it's so good for me. I just want to try it. Please, I want it. I want it. But that parent is saying no because they love that child and want to protect them and preserve them. 
you know, this is the danger when we think about our will versus God's will. Sometimes we think, but God's will is restrictive. It's, it's not an open place. Like, I want all these things, but God just doesn't want all those things for me. He just wants me to have this restricted life. Well, that child was restricted from the chocolate, not so it could have a restricted life, so it could have life, right? And God knows that our desires for the wrong thing lead us into sin, and sin leads us to death. And it's because he wants to give us life that he says no. When we begin to trust the character of God, we can trust the will of God. When I was a child, um, they showed a movie in church of um, our persecuted brothers and sisters in China. But this was fully acted out. It was very graphic. And they showed them being persecuted and the screams of torture. And I was very affected. Um, and around that time, I had heard some teaching, don't ever say to God, I'm not going to do this because you know what? You'll end up being made to do it. Yeah. And so I thought, which is really silly because God knows our thoughts, but I thought I'm never going to talk to God about China because I don't want him to make me go to China because I'm terrified of what I've seen. So we just will never bring that up in conversation. We just will talk about anything, but we will never talk about China. And um, because they kind of led me to believe that the will of God was kind of barbaric. If there's something you're terrified of, well, then he'll make you do it. If there's something you really hate, well, then that's your lot in life. And it kind of made me think that, that God's will was something to be avoided. In fact, I'd rather not know what his will is because then I don't have to do it. You know, what does God say about, oh, I don't know. I haven't heard from him yet. <laughs> Have you prayed about it? Yeah. I just don't know what he wants me to do. Or is it that we're afraid if we ask him what to do, um, it won't be the answer we want to hear? There was one time when I was unable to hear the will of God because um, I really wanted to marry a cowboy that was in our church at the time. And it's like God just never seemed to be able to say that word yes to me. So I kept saying to people, no, I just haven't heard. I don't know. God just hasn't said yet what his will is. Well, his will was that he had someone different for me, but that wasn't what I wanted to hear at the time. So because we tend to think if I don't, if I don't get things to happen the way that I think they need to happen, then I'm going to be miserable and it's not ever going to happen and I'm going to be sad. But he is encouraging us through teaching us how to pray, that if we will come and surrender our will to his, we will actually have a life far beyond what we could have ever dreamed up for ourselves. And exceedingly, abundantly, far over and above all that we could ask or think or even dare to imagine kind of life. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I love the way he starts the prayer. Our Father. How many times do our prayers centre on ourselves? 
my father. Dad, I need this and I need that. And can you please? But our father puts us straight away into a different mindset. How did Christ live his life? Was he centered on himself? No, he was centered on the father's will at all times. And look at the amazing things that Jesus did. Always, always in the Father's will, and yet lepers were cleansed and blind eyes were opened and hardened hearts were softened and, and families were restored. And, and you know, um, a mum who had uh, was a widow and only had one son was providing for her, whose son died, Jesus brings the son back to life again. And, and look what he does in the Father's will. The Father's will is an amazing place. Would you go with me, please, to um, Proverbs 3? I'm going to cover on some really well-known passages today. Um, but I just want to hopefully bring a fresh touch to them. So Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 5. So Proverbs, there. Okay. Proverbs 3, 5. <clears throat> Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct and make straight your paths. But we're going to read verse 7 as well. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And verse 8 it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Wow. Okay, I want to talk about the fourth word in, in verse 5, trust in the Lord. Now, I was thinking about this the other day. When you say, oh, Lord, and you're talking to him, which part of the Trinity are you talking to? Are the, the Father? The Son or the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? Who is Lord? Well, I, I got real tickled when I looked up the Hebrew meaning of this word uh, because there's there's three different lords that are translated from three different Hebrew words. So one is is a lowercase lord, L-O-R-D, where like Sarah, for example, said to uh, her, uh, referencing her husband as Lord. Um, then there's the capital L, lowercase, O-R-D, and that one, that one I got real tickled about. It can mean an authority figure, a lord or a ruler, but it can also be referencing God. But guess what it means? I'm, I'm going to have to read this one out. So, it means... Three words first, and then it goes into the rest of it. The word Lord with a capital L, lowercase the rest of it, means Lord, Lord, Lord. Three times. It's plural in Hebrew. So you're actually saying Lord to the Trinity. Isn't that cool? I got real blessed by that. Lord, 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 three times. It's the plural sense 
Adon, but in Hebrew it's Adonai, plural, encompassing our entire triune God. And it means the one bringing into being, Lord. Oh, have you got something you love him to bring into being for you? It means life giver. Lord, you're calling on the life giver. It means giver of existence. You're calling on the one who made you a being that could live and move. When you're saying, Lord, you're calling on the creator. He who brings to pass. I love that. Performer of his promises. When you say, Lord, you're saying, performer of your promises. I'm coming to you. My creator, the one who breathed life into me. Lord. This is the one it says that we are to trust in. But it gets even better. You see, have you ever noticed in your Bible where the word Lord is written all in uppercase? Have you noticed that? L-O-R-D, all in capitals. That's because that Lord is actually not a translation of Adonai, but the unpronounceable name of God, Yahweh. It is the name so revered by the Jews, they will not even pronounce it. It is all-encompassing God. This is the one we are encouraged by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, to trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Ah, it doesn't say trust in the Lord with all of your mind. Isn't that interesting? Why not? How good is your mind at staying focused all the time? <clears throat> Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In your knower, deep down in here, you can know something. I know that I can trust my Lord. You know that uh, that word Lord also means Father. So we are encouraged to trust our Father. Jesus said, hey, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We can have this incredible trust in our Father. All right, I want you to think about a very smelly place. Have you ever walked past a bin that was maybe a little bit overdue for changing? <laughs> can, you, can you picture or maybe remember the smell? Yeah? All right. Um, have you ever been to the dump? Did you stand there and go, <sighs> no way, right? That thing stinks. Well, the worst that you've smelt, I want you to picture that because that is the smell that I encountered when I stepped out of the airport in India. 
when I was 15 on my first missions trip. I stepped out and add to that, when someone's had the car idling in the garage and the smell of the fumes has filled the garage. And uh, that was my introduction to India. And it was like, wow, I'm here on, on mission. <laughs> Hallelujah. What have I done? But I noticed something in India. There's a lot of people with some amazing skills. They, there are some really tremendous wood carvers there that carve all sorts of animals out of wood and they make little elephants and monkeys and baboons and all kinds of things. But they also make gods that they bow down and worship. And one of the things I noticed about this was that there's this man sitting there and he's fashioning a god and he's giving it... Mm, eight arms going everywhere and, uh, and and he's putting all these embellishments on it and then he's going to paint it and do all this stuff and then the weirdest thing he's just finished fashioning this god and then he puts it down and puts flowers and money in front of it and burns incense and bows down and worships it I don't think he had wheat bits for breakfast. He was not thinking. How can you worship something that you created? How can you worship something you made it with arms, but it can't even move them? It's like it, 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 you created it with legs, but you know, if you want a God that can walk with you, you, you gotta have one that's not made of wood and stone. Just say, you know. But here. They bow down and worship. And we go, well, that's so silly. Like, what logical mind would do that? But you know what? We, we kind of do the same thing. We, we create in our minds the sort of God that we want, one that will give us everything that we desire. And we, we kind of want to bow down and pay homage to that God. But there's actually only one God it says that will never leave us or forsake us. Do you know there's no assurance in any other religion of your status with God? You can't know until it's too late, until you're dead and can't do anything about it. You can't know how approved of you are. But our God is so different. You see, when you read some of these other religions, you find an underlying theme of either violence, anger, or distance, that your ultimate goal is to actually become nothing. So there's no purpose. But the God of the Bible, when you, when you dig into his character and his purpose and what is it that he has for you, the God of the Bible is displaying things that are mind-blowing. He has purpose for every one of his creations. He has love, unthinkable. He has abundance. He has joy. There's no other God you can worship that promises you joy. I mean the God of the Bible. 
that when you get into his presence, it says, there is fullness of joy. So just being with your God, unlike bowing down to a worthless idol, when I step into the presence of Lord, this joy fills me. I'm in the presence of my creator. I'm where I belong. That, that missing piece is filled up. I know that I am his and he is mine and we are one and there's something absolutely marvelously joyous about being with him. He says to trust him with all of our heart. I, I want to suggest to us today that when we pray and we don't know if we truly can trust him, it's because we don't yet truly know him. And so trust in the Lord is really an invitation. Come and get to know me. Come and get to know me. What is my nature? Don't lean on your own understanding. That little child looking at that chocolate, if it was to lean on its own understanding, it would, it would partake of something that would be deadly. We may not understand, but we can trust because we know he is good. Ah, okay. We flip back to Psalm 103. Just a quick reminder of the kind of God that we serve. Now, those idols don't grant the people bowing down to them anything. They get nothing for their efforts. But our God, listen to what it says in Psalm 103, verse 3. He forgives all your iniquities. We have a God who forgives. A God who heals all your diseases. This is the God you're being encouraged to put your trust in. A God who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies your mouth with good things. Does that sound like a God who is a restrictive, harsh, unable to please kind of God? Not at all. It goes on to say in verse 6, the Lord, there it is again, capital L-O-R-D, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. <clears throat> Verse 10, he's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Imagine that. Instead of punishing us for our sins, he took the punishment upon himself for our sins. That is the kind of God we have. All right, I want to finish off uh, with just a couple more thoughts. If we go to Matt, back to Matthew, please. And we're going to go to Matthew um, 6 again. Just looking at the time.
Actually, we'll, we'll go further. We'll go Matthew 25. Because I've got very little time. So we'll just, uh, we'll just skip on to some of this. Okay, so Matthew 25. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to highlight verse 24 and 25. This is the parable of the talents. So how many of you, put your hand up if you're familiar with the parable of the talents. Are we all familiar pretty much? Yeah? Okay. So the parable goes that, that they were given, three different servants were given money and trusted with money from their master who then went away for quite some time. And then came back to to those servants, and they they be, they brought and gave an account of what they had done with what they'd been given. And the first two had managed to to double what was given to them, but the third one makes this interesting statement. So I'm in Matthew 25 and verse 24 says this. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, there you have what is yours. This servant did not know his master. And because he thought his master was a certain way, it affected everything he did in life. He had a completely warped perspective of the master. He thought he was hard man. Well, if he was a hard man, would have he entrusted money to you? If he was that hard, wouldn't he have told you, I want you to do this, 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 this with that money? Wouldn't he have given him a list of rules? Wouldn't he have said, and I'm going to have someone swing by every week and make sure you haven't lost anything? Wouldn't he have kind of put all these restrictions around him? But he didn't. And then he has this concept that his master reaps where he has not sown. That is not even a viable principle. Everything in life is about sowing and reaping. So this man did not get his wealth from taking what was not rightfully his. This master legitimately owned and, and had this wealth. But this servant's wrong perspective of the master ended up being his downfall. And because he had the wrong mindset, he says in verse 25, and I was afraid. Maybe the reason we don't want to submit our will to the will of the Father is that deep down we are afraid. We are afraid of what we think God is like, what we think he's going to ask of us, demand of us. Maybe we just don't know him. In Matthew 6, verse 24 to 34, Jesus makes a, a, an interesting statement. And I'm just going to read this to you. This is really... Um, I think it's quite key for a lot of things what we're talking about. So I'm going to read this. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and mammon. Now, that word mammon, when I looked it up in its uh, Greek original form, it can be defined as earthly goods, property, or riches. God is saying you can't serve two masters. That other servant, he he didn't want to serve that one master. He just hid the money. He didn't want anything to do with him. He didn't want anything to do with having that responsibility. Or He missed out on relationship. Jesus says you can't have two masters because you'll either hate one and despise the other, uh, love one and despise the other, or you'll be loyal to one and, and disloyal to the other. So mammon is the things of this world that divert our attention and love from God to the pleasures and comforts of earthly desires. Mammon, although it can provide fleeting happiness, ultimately it is a deadly distraction from the salvation of our souls. So we go, oh, I want this stuff. But God says, no, that's not my will because if you have that stuff, it's going to be your ruin. Instead, Jesus goes on to say not to worry about your life, what you eat, drink, wear, etc. But to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things would be added unto you. Not to worry about tomorrow. That can only be accomplished when we understand the Father's will. When we understand we have a right relationship. You see... The devil wants to make us a slave to sin. So he says, look at all this freedom I want to give you. Look at all these enticing things, all these things that you want, that you desire, your will. I will give you your will if you follow me. And so many times we engage in things that we think we really want. But what the, the sneaky trap of the enemy is, is that when you no longer desire those things and you now want to leave, you are a slave to sin. You're not free, you can't leave. You see, sin will bind you up. The very thing you thought was the freedom you're pursuing becomes the very chains around your ankles. That now, I don't want to do this addiction anymore. I want, I don't, I'm not enjoying it. It's making me feel bad. I don't want to be in this anymore. But now you're a chained slave to sin. Whereas God's will over here, he says, I offer you true freedom. No strings attached. When you come into my will, it's so different. You're not chained. You, you actually discover true freedom to live the way you want to live not subject to the slavery of sin <sighs> we can't serve God in men and I believe today God is wanting to challenge us would you like your prayers to be answered begin to trust the will of the Father for you because his will is truly amazing. The more I learn to be led by the Spirit of God each day, the more fun I'm having in my life. When you wake up, and it's not about your will that day, but it's about his will, 
He will open doors for you and you will begin to speak the words of life to people and you'll see people transformed by his goodness and his grace and you get a taste of what it's like to walk in the will of God and you just want to do it again. You want to wake up the next day and say, what have you got planned today? What if you were able to see your prayers answered that you prayed? Because you first started with, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done in me as it is in heaven. Because how many know heaven is a really awful place that nobody ever wants to go to? That's not right. What do we picture when we think of heaven? Straight away, you know, it's like, oh, I had this, it was like heaven. What are we saying? It was the ultimate. It was the very best you could imagine. And this is what he's saying, God's will as it is in heaven. What if we submitted our will to the will of the God who is in heaven and wants that for our lives? If we come under his will, then just like that centurion who's under authority, when we begin to pray, because we're in the will of the Father, we begin to pray the will of the Father. And then what do you know? He's answered our prayers. And, and we go, wow, that was so amazing. And we begin to have the same heart that he has. And, and we begin to look at people and not say, you need to change. I'm going to pray that God changes you. We go, I'm so changed. Lord, would you touch their life with the same love that you transformed mine with? God, would, would you just come alongside them and let them know that they're not alone, that you'll never leave them or forsake them? We begin to pray the will of the Father. Oh, Jesus prayed that we may be one. What if we looked at one another instead of going, you're different, we begin to pray that we would be one that we would understand that we're a family and we're in this together. What if we begin to have the will of God so forefront in the center of our life that we walked and we lived in that will, that everywhere we went, the will of God manifested. People were healed. People were delivered. I believe God wants to deliver you from your own consequences of your own will. We often end up bound like that servant. He was afraid. He could have had a prosperous, engaged life, but he was afraid he hid his talents because he didn't know his master. And God is saying, I want to liberate you. I want to set you free. I want you to encounter me in a way you've never encountered me before. Why don't you begin with our Father? What is your will? Because I want to put myself right in the center of it. And then out of that, I'm telling you, is exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask or think or imagine. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? <sighs> I want to give an invitation this morning because... I believe it's an invitation that's coming from the heart of God. An invitation to truly follow Jesus, to be his disciple. To actually come to the foot of the cross and to say, okay, not my will anymore, but your will. I, I surrender. You see, in, in the world, if you surrender, you've lost. 
But in the kingdom of God, if you surrender, you gain everything. Jesus said, if you if you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to save your life, you first got to lose it. Just like that little boy, if, if he's looking at that peanut-filled chocolate in his hand and he gives it back to his mum or dad, trust their will. That child will live. It can be the same for us. Maybe this is your day to take your will and surrender it back to the Father. Not because he wants to control your life, but because he wants to set you free. He wants to deliver you so you're no longer a slave to sin. So you're not doing the things you don't want to do and can't do the things you want to do. He wants to set you free. I just want to pray for you today. If you want to be included in that prayer, why don't you just raise your hands? I'm just going to pray a simple prayer for you today. In fact, I'm going to invite you into this prayer. You just pray it with me. Say, Our Father, I surrender my will to you now. Forgive me of my pride, my sin, my willfulness. I submit to you. I want to be your disciple. I want to learn from you. And I want to do things your way. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to live for you. I forsake my old way. And I choose to follow you. Cleanse me of my sin. In Jesus' name.